Welcome back to Compound Thesis. Our guest today is Jay Jog, and he's the co-founder at Say Labs. It's a general purpose layer one blockchain specialized for trading. Now, Say just recently closed a $30 million round and an $800 million valuation. And prior to Say, Jay was working on building crypto and margin loans at Robinhood. So a lot of experience in the fintech trading space. Um, on the show today, we're going to go into the trilemma that trading applications face on existing blockchain infrastructure and how Say is trying to you know, bring a new approach in their native L1. Welcome to the show, Jay. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, sir. Yeah. So before we dive into the trilemma, for those unfamiliar with Say, can you just tell us a little bit about the org and what the origin story is? Of course. Um, so my name is Jay. I'm a co-founder for Say Labs. Uh, my background is that I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I was surrounded by technology basically my entire life. Um, yeah, Silicon Valley is <laughs> this very, very tech focused. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I got into basically programming pretty early on. Um, and when I was in high school, I actually used to do speech and debate. Um, and at a practice debate is when I met my co-founder, um, Jeff, who also was doing speech and debate at that time. So we went to competing high schools, um, met each other through speech and debate. Um, afterwards, I went off to UCLA uh, to study computer science, and I ended up getting into crypto back in 2017. So at that time, my roommate was starting a crypto company. Um, he was going through Binance Launchpad. So we ended up working together um, on a couple of different projects. And afterwards, I ended up joining Robinhood, um, the Robinhood. And yeah, I spent almost four years over there. Uh, I saw the company 10x. And I was an engineering lead when the GameStop saga happened two years ago. Um, I'm guessing most listeners are probably familiar with that. Um, but just to kind of go over what happened there, um, there was basically this national movement happening where there are some stocks like GameStop and AMC that were just starting to, uh, yeah, just go up in price a lot. Um, they're mooning super hard. There are hedge funds that were shorting these stocks. And because the price of these stocks is rising, um, these hedge funds were getting short squeezed. So there's this entire narrative around how retail is winning and how hedge funds are getting um, wrecked. And just out of the blue one day, Robinhood turned off buys on GameStop, AMC, and several other stocks. And I mean, just to put the context here, right? Like Robinhood was the primary place where most of these retail users were actually buying these stocks. So Robinhood turning it off was just extremely bad for this entire um, kind of narrative around how retail was finally winning against hedge funds. And the biggest problem with this is that Robinhood had zero uh, communication, zero transparency around what they were doing internally, right? They did not tell the community anything. They also didn't tell us, the team, anything at all. So as an insider, I had no clue what was happening. Um, and on that day, a bunch of my friends reached out to me. Uh, some of them were actively holding GameStop positions, so they were pretty pissed off. Um, I even had like colleagues that I hadn't chatted with in several years that reached out to me as well, asking essentially what the hell is going on. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's up because I had absolutely nothing to be telling them, right? Um, people from my team also asked me questions. Uh, I, I was an engineering lead. I had nothing to be telling them at the time. Um, and I guess just going through that experience as an outsider, it feels pretty bad because, I mean, first of all, you put your reputation on the line to join a place like Robinhood. Um, and then when an event like GameStop happens, it just follows you around for the rest of your career, right? Um, I, I think in Robinhood's case, um, it's there was no fraud, but if it was like FTX or any of the other companies that had pretty big implosions in the past year, um, like just being an insider over there is just going to be carrying or following you around forever. 
Um, so, I mean, kind of after going through that experience myself, uh, I became much more of a decentralization maxi because anything that happens on chain is inherently trustless. And that is a massive difference versus having to rely on something like Robinhood, which is extremely trusted, right? Um, so as Robinhood was happening, um, as the GameStop saga was happening, uh, my co-founder, Jeff, he actually reached out to me just to check up on me. He's like, yo, man, how are things going? Um, and a few weeks later, we basically just started talking about everything that happened, um, how things could have been done in a different way. And the idea that we came up with at the time is, okay, what if we tried just building something in a decentralized way, um, something like Robinhood in a decentralized way, right? Um, and that was the original thing that we wanted to build, which was a decentralized exchange. Um, so we set out to build a decentralized exchange. Um, this got us looking into every layer one, every layer two, um, and all of the other infrastructure we could use to build an exchange. And we ultimately realized that the infrastructure is lacking, um, which is what led to us starting Say. Uh, so for listeners, Say is a general purpose layer one that is optimized for trading. And internally at Say Labs, we have just one core thesis, which is that the exchange of digital assets is the most fundamental use case for blockchains. Every single successful application in crypto right now is either directly or indirectly a trading application. Um, so like if you look at Uniswap, that's very clearly a trading application. Um, you can trade spot assets there. Uh, if you look at OpenSea, it's an NFT marketplace, which is essentially just an exchange where you can go and trade NFTs. Um, so it's also a trading application. Stepin is also a trading application, interestingly, because yes, it is a game, but it has an in-game marketplace. And that is one of the most, uh, I guess, most important parts of the entire product where you can go and trade in-game assets. So it is also directly a trading application. Um, even MetaMask, uh, most of its demand comes from people that install the wallet to go and start trading on chain. So the core source of its demand ends up being trading. So it's indirectly a trading application, even putting aside the fact that it has uh, the swap functionality built into it. So trading is the most fundamental use case for crypto. Um, the question then becomes like, how do you help that? grow? How do you help it get bigger? Um, and it's becoming abundantly clear right now that there are significant tailwinds that are actually pushing more and more people to start trading on chain right now. Um, there's been significant regulation that uh, is starting to get passed or that, that's being discussed as a result of FTX and all of the other centralized blowups that happened. And this is essentially going to result in more regulation on centralized entities. And people that want to trade will then gradually start moving um, to trade on chain. There's also a growing shift towards more people um, and more kind of use cases for tokenization, which is leading to more demands for 24 seven trading of these tokenized assets, which is just leading to more organic increase in the amounts of on-chain trading. So it's becoming clear that exchanges are important. Demand for exchanges is growing right now. The question then just becomes, how do you help them grow? Um, and that's what we spend all of our time at say thinking about how we solve the exchange healing problem. And the core promise that we make to teams is that you can focus on user acquisition and we will focus on building the best infrastructure for you. And that's resonated with a lot of folks at this point. Um, there's over 150 projects building on say right now ahead of the mainnet launch.
It's exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, going from the, the frenemies to co-founders uh, and, I, <laughs> you know, kind of looking at Jeff's background, he definitely brings a lot of the TradFi, you know, experience. I think it was at Goldman and KOTU uh, before joining Say. So tremendous yeah, amount yeah. of experience on that front and then you on the engineering side. So, um, you know, good, uh, uh, a good combination there. Um, you know, and I actually just saw a chart this morning and it was showing the share of volume uh, DEXs versus centralized exchanges. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, obviously the collapse of FTX and just kind of liquidity drying up on a lot of the centralized exchanges. But yet, you know, you've got Uniswap and others that continue to operate at a tremendous clip that are seeing more market share goes towards those. But your fundamental thesis kind of relates back to what you call um, the trilemma for trading, right? And so would love for you to unpack what that looks like um, as, you know, there are a number of applications that are built on, you know, general purpose L1s, obviously the, you know, the Ethereum's and Solana's of the world. Um, but mm -hmm. what are you doing specifically at Say to optimize for trading specifically so that your apps and your ecosystem can build off of Say? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when we first got started building an exchange, right, um, we started looking into all the infrastructure we could use to build an exchange. And we came across what we started internally calling the exchange trilemma. So basically between decentralization, capital efficiency, and scalability, every exchange out there right now is only able to get two of the three. Um, for example, if you look at Binance, they are a centralized exchange, so they do not get decentralization, um, but they do get capital efficiency and scalability. Um, if you look at Uniswap v2, they get decentralization and scalability, but not capital efficiency. Um, and this lack of capital efficiency is what led to the design for Uniswap v3. Mm -hmm. If you look at Uni v3, it gets decentralization and capital efficiency, um, but I'd make the argument that it's not scalable. So we don't think the solution here to solve the exchange trilemma is to keep iterating on exchange mechanisms. We don't think the solution is to go from Uniswap v2 to v3 to v4. Um, we think the solution is to do a rewrite of the underlying infrastructure. And this is exactly how innovation typically works. Um, if you're familiar with the idea of application infrastructure cycles, it basically is the idea that you first have some infrastructure that gets created. This leads to new types of applications that are enabled. Um, some of these applications find product market fit, many do not. Um, the ones that do find product market fit need new infrastructure to help them scale better. And oftentimes this new infrastructure is extremely specialized for those types of applications. Um, one example here would be with the database industry. So you started off with, let's say Oracle. Um, Oracle led to all of the web one and web two applications that we use today. Um, most applications were created, uh, just build. Um, but some of these have found very strong product market fit at this point. Um, and now we're starting to see more specialized infrastructure like Databricks Warehouse getting created specifically for AI. We think the exact same thing will be happening with blockchains. Um, we started off with Ethereum. This led to several decentralized applications, the explosion of decentralized applications that we use today. Um, many of them have no semblance of product market fit, especially once you take away the token-based incentives. Um, but exchanges have found genuine product market fit. So now the question is, how do you actually help these exchanges solve this exchange trilemma? Um, and that's why there will be specialized infrastructure getting created um, to help these exchanges. So that's exactly what we're building it today. We're optimizing every single part of the stack to help give exchanges 
the best possible experience. Um, so when we originally got started, we were looking at other layer ones on the market and trying to think of like, okay, what is like, why can't we build over here? Like what is wrong over here? And I mean, we looked at Solana, looked at Aptos, looked at Sui, looked at Avalanche, Nier, and all of the other big general purpose layer ones that we know and love today. Um, and there were a few different buckets of problems um, that became very clear for exchanges. Uh, the first is around time to finality. Most of these chains just did not have a time to finality that was fast enough. The second is around throughput. You need greater throughput for exchanges than what these layer ones were offering. And third is in terms of user experience. Um, none of these layer ones were really specialized to offer a better user experience for exchanges. So that's exactly what we set out to build. And in terms of what we offer now, um, say makes use of twin turbo consensus. So this helps say offer the fastest time to finality of any blockchain out there. Um, we're seeing a lower bound of around 450 millisecond time to finality in the public testnet. And that's with mainnet configurations. So the reason time to finality is important for exchanges is let's say that you're a market maker and you want to open a position on chain and then you want to hedge it on Binance, right? Well, if you have um, a longer time to finality, then you're taking on more risk because there's basically only two ways that you can hedge your position. Um, you can either hedge your position as soon as a block is created, but before it's considered finalized. And in that case, the block could be reorged. Mm -hmm. On chains like Solana, for example, 5% of blocks are reorged. So if that block gets reorged, then you might just be left holding that hedged short position on Binance. And there's no guarantee that your position on chain will get filled and there's no guarantee it'll get filled at the same price. So that introduces you to additional risk, which results in you offering wider spreads, which leads to a worse user experience. Um, the other thing you could do is to just wait until a block is finalized. But if it takes like three to 10 seconds for a block to get finalized, that's three to 10 seconds of price volatility that you're exposing yourself to. Um, and the end result of that is that you have to take on more risk and offer wider spreads to your users, which leads to worse user experience. Um, that's why time to finality is important. And say time to finality is the fastest out there. Um, the second thing that we offer is greater throughput. Um, so say supports 20,000 orders per second in the public testnet, which is a magnitude greater than most other ecosystems, which only get between one to 3,000 orders that can be processed every second. Um, and the last thing that say has is a native matching engine that is built into the chain. So this is a primitive, and anyone that wants to build an order book-based exchange can make use of this underlying primitive to help um, get their exchange off the ground. And under the hood, um, this is making use of frequent batch auctions to help with filling trades. Um, so the way that this works is rather than having all of the orders in a block get sequentially executed, um, every order will get executed at the exact same price. So every order will get the exact same treatment. Um, what this means is, first of all, there's price fairness within a block. Um, and secondly, and more importantly, this prevents negative activities like front running from happening. So these are a lot of the optimizations that we made. Um, but I mean, super high level, every single part of the chain is specialized to give trading applications the best possible experience. So you, you highlighted kind of like maybe three different um, applications, whether it's like a DEX, an NFT marketplace or GameFi. Um, across those three different verticals, um, you know, where do you see the most benefit to 
deploying on a say versus another general purpose? Is it, you know, kind of equally uh, advantageous for each one of those different cohorts? Or do you feel like there's product market fit better for one over another? Yeah, so I would I would say that it ends up being beneficial for all three types of applications to launch on say. Um, so say is optimized for trading apps, right? And essentially every single application in crypto right now is a trading app. Um, Trading is the most general purpose use case for crypto. And that's why we decided to architect say the way that we did. Um, in terms of the benefits that all these different types of applications get, the consensus level benefits, the parallelization that we've enabled to offer, uh, the better throughput as well. These are applicable for every single type of product that is built on say. And at this point, we're starting to see a huge number of diverse types of applications getting built on top. Um, one misconception that people have is that say is a DeFi chain. Um, say is not a DeFi chain. Trading is much more general purpose than that. And as a result, there's NFTs on say, there's games on say, there's rollups getting built on say. Um, some of the more interesting things to mention would be we have an esports league called Table that's being built on say, where different teams can compete against each other. And the improved consensus and the improved uh, throughput enables a better user experience over there. Um, another project would be Tatami which is a game publisher. And building on top of Say allows them to offer a better user experience for their um, games and their end users as well. Um, and one of the other projects to mention would be Senate DAO, which is building political tokens. And building anything that is directly related to trading like that um, just gives you a much better experience on Say than you would on any other ecosystem. So I would say that from Say's side, the core value proposition that we offer to teams is that Building a trading application on SIG is going to give a better user experience than building that trading application in any other ecosystem. And I mean, five years from now, um, I would say that our vision is for the kind of decentralized exchange experience, the decentralized trading experience to be identical to that of the centralized trading experience. Because right now there's like a massive disconnect, right? Like trying to do anything on chain is incredibly clunky, um, it's slow, it's difficult to onboard. Um, the vision that we have is one where building a DEX and building any kind of decentralized application on say uh, will be identical to building that same application in kind of a web two format. So, so I guess if you break it down then on like the end user side, right? So if you got institutional versus retail that are participating in any of these different applications, like what is the impact to them, right? If they're using the same application on 1L1 versus that same application that would be built on say, like, can you help kind of just walk through an example maybe of what the experience would look like? You know, you mentioned like higher spreads or lower, you know, throughput or, or uh, time to finality, but yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of like, break it down, I guess, to make it more tangible, right? From a user experience, would I, you know, how would I get better price improvement and or uh, efficiency by leveraging something that's optimized for trading versus doing it on one of the legacy chains? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned before that there's three main technical improvements that we made. Um, first was twin turbo consensus. And the biggest benefit there is the improved time to finality. So from a user standpoint, everything will just be much snappier because yeah. there's a much faster response time. Um, one of the biggest, like clunkiest parts of like using Ethereum or Bitcoin is just how slow things are. Um, in Say's case, it matches web two level speeds. Um, with 450 millisecond time to finality, it's incredibly fast. And that leads to a much smoother user experience. And I mean, they've done multiple studies showing that if you pass certain thresholds, 
then people stop engaging, right? Like if you're on a web two application, if it takes like a second or a second and a half, then people just get distracted. They go to a different tab. They stop engaging as much. Um, so you do need faster time to finality for better user experiences overall. Um, that's one of the things that Stay offers. And there's a lot of ideas that Stay has for how to further improve this even more um, to make it even faster than it currently is. Um, the second thing in terms of throughput, uh, it just will result in lower gas fees if you're going to be a market maker that is providing liquidity on chain. Uh, Stay also offers this concept of order bundling for any kind of uh, more active user that wants to submit multiple trades in any block. Uh, they can just combine all of their orders together and submit one transaction. And then the chain will be able to process those transactions or those orders and route them to the correct markets. Hmm. You don't need to write like a specialized smart contract or anything. You can just natively do that. And that's supported by the chain. That helps improve the user experience as well. It's like, it's like embedded algo trading almost that like some of the yeah, most sophisticated yeah. desks have that, you know, maybe a retail investor takes advantage of through like their Fidelity or Schwab account. But that seems like it's already embedded directly on the same chain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the last and biggest thing around the native matching engine, um, it just prevents front running, right? So for listeners, front running is a practice that is illegal in traditional financial markets, at least in the United States. And it's the idea that someone sees a retail order coming in, or basically a sophisticated party sees someone else's order coming in. Um, and then they decide that, okay, rather than filling this order immediately, we will bump up the price of that asset and then sell that asset at a higher price that user like bring down the price of the asset and then buy it then the user at a lower price um in most ecosystems this is more or less impossible to prevent um but in say's case because say offers the native matching engine um every single order gets filled at the same price hmm. so this predatory mev just cannot exist on say within the scope of a block so those would be a lot of the improvements that would affect the end user experience um on say does that potentially make it less attractive to, you know, arbitragers that are participating on say versus other chains or are they getting, you know, there's a cost benefit on that trade off, right? You know, for some folks that see that as a opportunity versus a cost. So, you know, how are you kind of you know, seeing that play out? Yeah. So the single most important thing that sophisticated traders care about is having order flow from retail users. So any ecosystem that makes optimizations to draw in more retail users will end up making sophisticated traders happy. Um, to your specific question, yes, this makes it more difficult to Arbonse. And that's a very conscious design decision that we made because we think that optimizing for the retail user experience is the single most important thing that matters. Everything else just falls into place if you have organic activity happening on any ecosystem, right? If there's a lot of retail users, then there'll be sophisticated market makers, sophisticated players coming on because they want to help out provide liquidity for um, the rest of these retail users. So yes, it, the trade-offs we made are entirely to benefit the end user. Um, and yeah, it will lead to, in the long run, it will lead to more engagement from sophisticated players through an indirect fashion. It's like building a food chain, right? Where you've got like the small minnows or the plankton <laughs> that are participating into the minnows, into the you know sharks and then whales. And so, um, you know, one way to look at it that you're building an entire ecosystem that benefits all different layers of that chain um, versus just optimizing for, you know, larger traders or transactions that take advantage of those that are less sophisticated or have exactly, less capital yeah. to participate. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys also have a large ecosystem fund um, that uh, you're working to deploy. 
uh, into different projects that are building on say, can you give us just a little bit of uh, you, you mentioned some of the projects already, but um, you know, are there any of the big blue chip uh, DeFi protocols or uh, you know, labs teams that are looking at building on say and, and what, what, uh, what are you kind of seeing as part of the um, demand side for the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for anyone that's trying to get more involved with say, uh, there's a lot of different ways that say can help out um, just founders and anyone that is maybe more involved to get in or more interested in getting involved from a community side. Um, so if you're a founder, say offers an EIR program, an entrepreneur and residence program. Um, so if you're someone who has uh, tried building a startup before, or maybe doesn't have an idea, but think you would be a good founder, um, say can help you out, get started, um, provide a lot of resources to make it possible for you to get off the ground um, from basically every single aspect, right? Um, from the financial aspect to also the go-to-market side of things. Um, and when we originally got started building uh, building Say, it was very clear that there's a lot of projects that are interested in building on Say. Um, but one of the things that makes it more difficult for them is the lack of clear capital um, that would be invested in them or used to provide liquidity if they start building. And um, it, it was just kind of a difficult bet for them to make. This was around a year ago. Um, and as a result, a lot of the investors in Say and a lot of market makers, a lot of market participants pulled together their capital, um, which at this point is $120 million um, into an ecosystem fund that'll be used primarily for two things. Um, the first is to invest in projects that are building on say. So any say project that is able to get traction or that is um, just interesting to these investors um, will be able to get commitments from this ecosystem fund. And the second is for on-chain liquidity. Because if you're building an on-chain exchange, the biggest question often ends up being like, where do you get this liquidity from? Um, so the ecosystem fund is incredibly helpful over there. Um, to your second question around what projects are building on say, um, there's over 150 projects that have committed right now. I want to say over 70 or 80 of them have already announced on social media as well. So there's a say ecosystem page, which lets you see all of those. Um, and in terms of the types of projects that are there, I would say that they fall under many different verticals. Um, say is a general purpose in, so every single type of product can get built on say. Um, I mentioned before the gaming and the more political token use cases. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, there's essentially every single type of exchange you can think of and many other types of applications as well. Um, some of the ones to mention would be Sushi. So Sushi is one of the biggest Ethereum um, exchanges that exist right now. And they're launching a perpetuals protocol on say, And that's huge, right? because there haven't really been many examples of projects from the Ethereum ecosystem doing anything outside of Ethereum. Um, I would say DYDX is the most well-known one and Sushi will be the first to go to market to launch something outside of the um, outside of the Ethereum ecosystem. So I would say that's one of the really interesting ones. Um, besides that, some of the other projects to mention would be Astroport, which is also launching a spot exchange or which is launching a spot exchange um, then there's Nitro, which is building a SBM rollup on say. So there's a lot of teams from the Solana ecosystem that wanted to launch um, on say, but they were hesitant because they would need to rewrite their smart contracts and get them audited again. Um, in, in this case, uh, they could just go ahead and deploy directly onto um, Nitro, and that would make it much more seamless experience for them. Um, that'd be one of the projects. And then, yeah, I mean, different types of projects across different verticals. There's people building prediction markets. There's the political tokens that I've mentioned before. Um, and yeah, happy to go into any other verticals if interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's super interesting. So uh, you brought up an interesting um, 
use case there in terms of bridging uh, from other ecosystems onto say, like, how does that all work? Mm -hmm. And, you know, bridges are all, always, you know, kind of a touchy subject, but um, I would imagine that that must be part of your growth strategy to make it interoperable with other chains or other VMs. So just curious on how you yeah. think about that. Of course, yeah. So at a high level, um, say wants to have all the infrastructure ready to go from day one. So bridging from any other ecosystem will be supported from day one. Um, with that being said, we think that like having bridges, there, there's often this misconception that if you have a bridge, liquidity will seamlessly come from that. And I think that's just completely wrong. Um, I, th I think as a layer one, you need to make sure all the infrastructure is set up. Um, but besides that, like you need to make sure that there's actually interesting applications uh, for people to want to come on, right? Like just building good infrastructure doesn't mean anyone's really going to come over and use it. Um, you need to make sure that there's more uh, interesting use cases for people to come on. So I, I would say that the bridging part of it, like that'll be ready um, from the get go. Uh, but the more important part is just making sure that interesting founders are launching good projects on say, and some of these projects will be extremely successful, um, which will be would drive a lot of that usage of the bridge and I guess any other um, infrastructure that is built out. Yeah, yeah, the whole build and they will come um, thesis uh, probably works more at the application level than it does on the bridge level. Um, you have yeah. to have a reason to port assets over. And so uh, your focus on creating those types of endpoints uh, for real adoption uh, will then allow uh, for more um, you know, stuff to flow through the bridges for lack of better exactly. terms. I also have this kind of same uh, feeling for wallets. Like, I feel like there's so many new wallets that have been getting built in the bear market that are solving this problem. Like, okay, onboarding is difficult. So let's build good wallets to help people onboard. Um, I, I think that is a genuine problem, but I, I have like a lot of friends that are very tech savvy that can definitely figure out the experience of um, going on to like MetaMask and using MetaMask to connect to Ethereum. Um, but they don't. And the reason for that is because they uh, are just like, there's not strong enough of a use case for them to come on chain, right? So I think in general for infrastructure, like having that use case is what really drives people to want to come on. Um, just building the good infrastructure generally does not really end up ever being that meaningful. Yeah, no, having a gateway to go nowhere, um, you know, unless you have a reason to be in the ecosystem, um, you'll find the right path to get there. But yeah, it certainly is a, a massive, uh, you know, blocker for adoption, um, you know, as the underlying infrastructure is being built, but the actual use cases on top of it need to continue to mature and flourish. And hopefully in this bear market, uh, a lot of people in your ecosystem and others are continuing to build that so that, um, you know, there is that demand side of the equation uh, to be using certain tools that make everyday lives better uh, rather than just having the underlying infrastructure there. So um, what's your road to the mainnet? What's that look like over the next couple of months for you guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's currently a public testnet that is running. So for anyone that wants to play around with, say, um, there's an incentivized testnet program going on as well. So anyone that helps stress test, say, um, will be eligible to get incentivized testnet rewards. Um, so we definitely encourage all listeners to get involved with that. Um, besides that, mainnet is coming soon. Uh, more updates around that will come from the State Foundation in the future. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely been pretty crazy just to see the entire community um, rally around us, especially like in the past six months. Um, I, I think that there's just been a massive amount of growth happening 
it's pretty surreal to see all these different projects that are launching as well. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of anyone that wants to get more engaged with it, uh, there is that entrepreneur in residence program. So that is the way for good founders to start building. And I mean, every single step of the process, say, can be um, helpful for you uh, to raise money, to launch. So um, that, that'd be, I think, one pretty easy way. And then there's the ecosystem fund that'll be there to help out just any founder, um, any team that is launching on, say, as well. Well, it's exciting to see you at the you know, front end of that exponential growth curve, because it's, uh, I'm sure, been a lot of work to get yourself to this, <laughs> this, uh, this standpoint, but um, sounds like uh, a lot is accelerating within the site ecosystem. So yeah. appreciate you sharing more about what you're building. Any other takeaways or closing thoughts before we let you go? Um, I mean, I, I would say that, yeah, we've definitely been working super hard uh, to get all of this ready. Um, the team has literally been working 24 um, seven. And yeah, it's going to be Pretty exciting to see it all coming coming together in Mainnet. Um, so, I mean, for anyone that wants to learn more, um, you can follow Say on Twitter. So it's S E I N E T W O R K. Um, so you can follow Say's Twitter handle. A lot more information over there. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me, you have any questions, um, you can just shoot me a DM on Twitter. J A Y E N D R A J O G is my handle. So, yeah, that's those are closing thoughts from my side. Uh, perfect. We will tag uh, both of those as we send this out to our audience and very much encourage folks to follow along with what's being developed on the Say ecosystem. Very exciting times. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today, Jay. Uh, for anybody out there that's following us along, tell your friends about the show. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be back with another episode of Compound Thesis in a few weeks. Take care, Jay. Awesome. Thank you, sir.